Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would speak to us personally, to each individual here. That you would give us understanding for the days in which we live. That you would also meet us in our personal lives, the issues and difficulties we deal with. For any person who's here today and they're struggling with anger, Lord, that your spirit would speak to them about forgiveness and repentance. For those who feel lost with no direction, that you would give them understanding and clarity for this life. For each of us, Lord, that you would impart to us a deeper level of understanding of who you are and what you're doing in the days in which we live. Amen. We've been in this series about confronting the chaos for about three months or so. And we're just really beginning to dig into some of the deeper issues that are very obvious in our culture Last week, we were talking about chaos with regard to parenting, because the scripture indicates that children are a gift from the Lord, a blessing from the Lord. Every child is of that nature, that every single human life is of great value. And of course, we've been talking over the last few weeks about the fact that human beings are created in the image of God. This is what gives human life, its sacred value, being created in his image. And that's why we should value life from the moment of conception all the way through to the last breath of a person on this earth. And yet we live in a time where parenting has sort of taken a a bad rap, you might say. Because I've indicated that I think parenting is perhaps one of the most significant responsibilities a human being can ever have during this life's journey. That you are given the responsibility, the authority to raise up a life. To me, every child that is conceived in the womb and born is an absolute miracle. It's just amazing that God does this. And then to raise up a child is of such significant responsibility. And we were talking last week about, well, how does this take place? How does good parenting take place? And I mentioned I'm often asked about parenting and the advice, things like that, sometimes when I'm counseling people. And, and I can really sum, summarize my view of parenting in a scripture from Deuteronomy, which may not be a place you think of for advice on parenting, but really I believe that's it. Because there, Moses had given the law to the people of the Old Testament. And he then says to them, Hear, O Israel, 
that the Lord your God, he is one. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, which is the scripture essentially that Jesus quoted when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Moses said to the people, these commandments I give you, not only the 10 commandments, but everything associated with the law of the Old Testament. And he says to them, you are to put them upon your hearts, impress them upon your children, to talk about them when you're at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. In other words, they're not just to be something that you think about a little bit in some compartment of your life, but rather they are to be things that are ingrained in your soul that are a part of your being for everything that you do all of the time. And you see, that statement is true not only for the people of Israel in that day, it's true for you and I today. That if you're a Christian, you want to know him, know everything about him. And it should be something that is a consuming part of your life moment by moment in every day. That anybody who knows you should recognize there's something different about you, about how you approach life, how you speak, the things you do, because Christ is so central in who you are as a person. And this is what Moses was saying to the people of Israel, that everything that he has given to them, that he has taught them, is to be central in your life. And this is why I say that parenting is really about modeling. It's about setting an example. If you have a vibrant personal relationship with Christ, then you can model that for your own children. But if your personal relationship with Christ is absent, non-existent, or it has some real serious problems in it, it's going to be very hard for you to impart that to your own children. This is why one of the problems that many young people have is they are exposed to the church, but they don't see a real model of what it means to walk as a Christian. Now, some of you, I've talked with people over the years, I've known some of your parents, some of you had a phenomenal example of a Christian in maybe both your parents or maybe in one of them, and you really saw the difference. Some of you grew, out, grew up without seeing that at all. But you see, that model is, the, to me, the primary thing that you do as a parent. That you model the reality of Christ in your life, in everything, and then that is the gateway for your child to come to know Christ in a personal way. That scripture goes on to say that you're not only to have these things in your mind, and your heart, you're to have them all around you all of the time. Write them on the door frames of your houses. And that's why it is a good thing to have scripture on the walls of your home and however you want to put it up. That it, it would be something that would remind you of the truth and how you should live. And then we also said that in parenting, there is this problem of where you can exasperate a child. To exasperate them is to frustrate them, really to reject them, make them feel unwanted, things of that nature. And it can occur in many different ways. Some parents are domineering and controlling, trying to force their children into a, a certain mold that can exasperate a child. Some parents are uninvolved, don't care. That too will exasperate a child. I think oftentimes some well-intentioned parents take a poor approach 
In other words, they're wanting their child to accomplish something, but they don't take the right approach. I was listening to, uh, it was either Focus on the Family or something like that here just in the last week or so, and they were talking about parenting and talking about a dad that this, this person who was speaking had witnessed a dad after a Little League baseball game taking his son to the batting cage. And he said the dad was walking along a few steps in front of the, of the son, who was obviously pretty young, and the kid was crying. And he heard the dad say, we're going to the batting cage so you don't strike out again next week. Well, maybe it would be a good idea to help the kid, but that was the wrong time and the wrong approach. In that moment, the kid needed encouragement. He needed a kind heart. Maybe another day it would have been time to practice some things. And you see, every young person can be exasperated with the wrong heart attitude from a parent, or you can encourage them. This is why the scripture says, train up a child in the way that he should go. I think it means help the young person identify what are the gifts and talents God has given them, and then open the door for them to be able to explore those and to develop those. Rather than trying to force them to be something that perhaps they're never intended to be. And then there is an obligation on the part of children. It's a very huge obligation because the scripture says to honor your father and mother. And then in many places it repeats that scripture. In Colossians it says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. You ever ask what makes God happy? Fully. And you see, it says that children, in obeying your parents, you please God, which is a very, very wise thing. And see, the reason is this. It is very important that every human being learn to submit to authority. God has orchestrated life with levels of authority. There's parental authority over you. There are authorities in your schools, like teachers and the principal and things like that. There are authorities in society, those in government and police officers, things of that nature. There are many levels of authority. And God calls us to learn to submit to authority. And see, a child who learns that at a young age with their parents will have a much easier time transitioning to submitting to authority as an adult. Ultimately, the authority you submit to is what? Is God himself. See, ultimately, to every person, the goal is to be fully submitted to him. And of course, the will of human beings is such that we rebel against that. We want our own way. But really to grow in wisdom and maturity is to grow in submission to one another and to Christ. This is why learning this as a child is of utmost importance. Now where I want to go this week is to talk about what I've entitled personal chaos. Because I certainly believe that is going on in our society today. In fact, almost any statistic you look at of the health of people in American culture, it is going in the wrong direction. 
That is, you look at rates of people who are depressed. Well, that's increasing. People who feel alone, people who have other types of problems. Or the worst of all are, are the skyrocketing rates of suicide, particularly among young people. And then you can look at statistics about physical health, which is declining in our society. And you see, we are in a place where there is a lot of personal chaos for a lot of different reasons. It's a very unusual time in the sense that you can connect instantly with people in other parts of the world. That we have all of these technological abilities to connect with one another, but studies indicate that people, particularly young people, feel very, very alone and isolated. And that's largely because communication through a technological device cannot be anything beyond a certain level of superficiality. That is, in order to have real deep connection with people, you've got to be face-to-face with them. You've got to really be involved in their lives in some way. And a lot of what's going on today is people might have thousands of friends in social media, but really... They don't know them very well at all. And we are in a time of personal chaos. And it's not just chaos about individuals being isolated, things of that nature. It's really a deeper chaos where people are really questioning, who am I and what purpose is there to life? Now, I want to begin by going to the scripture in 2 Corinthians where it's the Apostle Paul writing... And he says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. Now, understand what he's saying. His life was radically changed when he encountered Christ. You know, he's blinded. He eventually then, his eyesight is restored. And I believe that In doing that, with his physical blindness and then his eyesight being restored physically was really sort of a symbol or a metaphor of what was happening to him spiritually. That he was blind spiritually up until the point that he came to know Christ. And then he was spiritually, he had his eyes open at that point. And so he said previously he regarded Christ from a worldly point of view. Remember, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. And what did he do with regard to Christ and the whole Christian way, those following Christ? Well, he was a persecutor at the highest level. He saw Christ not as the Messiah, but as a blasphemer, as a violator of the law, as someone who needed to be stopped, as a threat to those in authority, particularly in religious authority. You see, he had a purely worldly point of view. And he says, this is how I once regarded Christ, but no longer do I do so. Because once the Holy Spirit came to dwell within him, his whole view of not only the world, but of Christ changed. And you see, so where we are today is people are trying to define an identity, who they are, from a worldly point of view that is very skewed, that they don't have an understanding of who they are in Christ. 
And of course, if you've been here during this series, I've been emphasizing that the culture screams there is no God, there is no creator, there's no moral law, and there are no moral absolutes. So you take those things away, how then do you define who you are as a person? How do you define your identity? Whereas in different parts of history of this country, the culture would have helped you understand who you are by developing a fear of God himself. But absent from that, well, who are you? And so I want to raise that question from the standpoint of every person essentially ask, who am I? Now, you may not have, when you were eight years old, actually thought that out and wrote it down and developed a, a thesis on who am I, but you were wondering it. In fact, little kids will very often be a reflection of what they see around them. That is, they'll see what dad is doing or what mom's doing or somebody else, and they'll want to be like that person. That's why we idolize, we really do make idols out of sports figures in our society because people see that through television and other media and they think, well, that is what life is right there. And so we will make a sense of, I can find who I am by being like somebody else. But do you realize God never calls you to do that? He calls you to be like Christ. Be the independent, uniquely created person you are. Now, you might imitate somebody else in a good way. In other words, you see good characteristics in somebody else. You might reflect that in your own life. But you're not called to be somebody else. In fact, a few years ago, I was at a conference at the Cove for pastors, and Jim Cimbala was speaking. And if you don't know who he is, he's a pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle up in New York. He's been there for many, many years. He's a very wise pastor, I think, and very experienced. And he's speaking to a group of about three or 400 pastors, and he said to them something very clear that was really a very keen insight. He said, stop trying to be somebody else's church. He said, God called you to pastor a group of people in your community unique to your setting. That too much of the time what's going on in the modern church is people say, well, that church is flourishing in some way or this church is doing that, so let's do that. That's not what God called you to do. In fact, it would be impossible for Celebration to try to be the Brooklyn Tabernacle because it's a whole different culture, a whole different environment in which he lives. He has, he has homeless people, addicts laying on the street right outside the door of the church there. It's an entirely different thing. And see, that principle that applies to churches also applies to people. Stop trying to be somebody else. Discover who you are in Christ. But see, the culture says there is no God. You must discover who you are within yourself. And so the culture says these types of things to us, that first of all, you're rand randomly made, you're just here. You have an existence. There wasn't a purpose to it. It wasn't a plan to it. You might have been formed even wrongfully. In other words, that maybe you don't have all the good attributes that some other people have. That your purpose here is nothing beyond what you 
undertake or you do. Now you see, I would argue vehemently that every single person has an eternal purpose. This is because of God's infinite wisdom. He created you with eternal purpose. But the culture says, there's no God, there's no creator. You just exist. You don't have a purpose. Nothing beyond yourself. That you might have some good attributes, some superior ones and some inferior ones. Because if you believe that we're here randomly, then it is the survival of the fittest. And some people are prospering much more than others. And maybe you're one who just doesn't have very good characteristics. See, I think this is one of the problems that is contributing to suicide among young people. That they have an extremely negative view of themselves compared to other people. And think somehow I'll never amount to anything. I'll never account for anything. And then maybe they experience rejection or something like that and, and make the mistake of committing suicide. Do you realize God would never call a person to suicide? It's never the Holy Spirit who would say that. It is a lying spirit, a spirit that is deceiving and condemning, that God would always say there's hope, even in the most desperate of circumstances. The culture would also say that you're likely to be a victim, that unless you're one of the powerful people in a position that controls others, then you're a victim. I don't know that any time, certainly that I've been alive, has the culture more promoted the idea that we're victims. Now, some people aren't victims. If you're a white male, by definition, you're not a victim. Everybody else is a victim, pretty much. The problem with the victim mentality is that it has some truth and a big lie. All of us are victims of what? Living in a fallen world with the sin nature of people. Every single person has been adversely affected by somebody else. I mean, every single person has had people say things about them, do things to them that are harmful. Everybody has been victimized by sin and everybody is a victim of their own sin nature. The problem is that in the culture in which we live, we identify as victims and then blame others and expect others to fix it. Whereas the answer to life is not in blaming others. It is in recognizing your own sinfulness, having Christ change you, and then forgiving not blaming, not expecting others, not demanding of others. It's forgiving and then learning to love as Christ loves. That I can't go through life assuming the role of a victim. You won't find a healthy life that way. A lot of people do. A lot of people play the role of victim. They like it there. It's how they get attention. It's how they manipulate other people. God calls us to recognize that he has taken that role, that responsibility away by his love, his grace. The culture would also say that you're a person who should be very uncertain about yourself, very insecure and afraid. Now again, there's truth in that, but not the way the culture sees it. Apart from Christ, if you have no assurance from him, 
there are a lot of things about which you can be very insecure and afraid. In fact, if you were to sit down one day and to try to make a list of all of the things that you could be afraid of, how long could that list be? Well, you could just go on forever and ever and ever and ever. I mean, you could be afraid of a lot of things. But God does not call us to live in fear. He calls us to live in the confidence that in a world that is very threatening, that you can find certainty and assurance in him. But you see, without God, well, what are you going to do with your insecurities and your uncertainties? Well, what most of the culture is doing is blaming others that if you would treat me differently, I wouldn't have these problems. That it's your fault. See, we live in a time where it's primarily about blaming others for me not being happy and successful and where I want to be in life. The problem is, really nobody's in that place from blaming others, certainly. There are a few who think they are. In other words, there are a few who think, I've really got it together, I'm a success, I've got all these things. They're just filled with pride and deception. The really humble, broken person filled with the Holy Spirit realizes apart from Christ, yeah, I'm in real trouble. But in him, I can do all things because he's the one who strengthens me. Now, the culture certainly today is saying some really confusing things about sexuality. That for almost every generation and every culture, it's been really clear we are created male and female. Now, there have always been, there's always been sexual perversion. I mean, we can look back at the temple prostitution of ancient times, things like that. Because what? Satan has always attempted to pervert that area. In fact, I read recently where a school system, I think it was in Utah, banned the Bible because of the sexual perversion in the Bible. Well, that's just an excuse for doing what they want to do. Is there a lot of talk in the Bible about sexual sin? Uh, yeah, there is. A whole lot. There's adultery, all kinds of things. Because it's just honest about the sin nature of human beings. But we've come to a different place. Where the culture is now trying to separate biological sex from gender. This ideology has been percolating, you might say, now for about four, maybe five decades. Most people hadn't heard about it, but there are those in academic circles who'd been talking about it for a while. Eventually, it's now worked its way into the culture that your gender, theoretically, is something that is created by society, by environment, and probably wrongfully created that way. It's the white males who forced you into thinking about gender in a certain way in order to control you, things of that nature. And so the, the, the culture is saying you can define who you are in any way you want to. You can redefine your gender. It can be fluid, variable. You can even redefine your biological sex by having hormone treatment or surgery or something like that. The problem with that is at the core, you can't redefine your chromosomes. You're created in a certain way. 
And you can't separate gender from biological sex because they're so interconnected. When the scripture says God created us male and female, it doesn't mean simply that he created us biologically male or female. There are many other characteristics. There are an enormous number of studies about the differences between men and women in their emotional experiences and how they think, all kinds of behavioral things. There are enormous differences. Being created male and female goes well beyond the biological part. Now, there are, I'm going to talk about this in a, a later teaching. I'm not going to go too far into it today, but there are certainly differences in how, say, females function and look at the world. There's a range of how females function and a range of how males function. It's not one size fits all, but still there is a distinction between the two. And we've come to a different place about identity. You see, people have always, especially when they're young, attached to something in this world to say that's who I am or what I am. In other words, maybe you're a young person, you play football, and that just consumes how you think, and you're like, I'm a football player. But what's happened is we've gone beyond saying I do something to say I am something. In other words, I'm not a football player, I'm a football. I mean, that's really where the culture has gone. I've, we've gone beyond that it's something I do, some experience that I have to say, it's who I am. But you see, if you take away God, take away an understanding of eternal truth, then how do you define who you are? It's only through your experiences. You see, the culture says the only thing you have are the experiences of your life. It's an experiential existence. And when you die, that's it. See, the culture strongly says you're here by random chance, you just have experiences. You want to have the best experiences you have for some reason. And then when you die, it's over. There's nothing to look forward to beyond that. So what you need to do is now indulge your identity as, as you see it within yourself. So really what the culture is about is this, and this is where the work of the demonic is very powerful. The culture has said, for you to experience the best in life, you need to indulge your sensual desires. Now, that's not exactly the way the culture says it, but that's what's happening. For you to experience the best in life, you need to look within yourself and say, what are your sensual desires and indulge them to the most degree possible? Then you'll find enjoyment in life because once this life is over, you don't have to worry about it. Now, of course, there are countless lies caught up in that. The scripture says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. It also says that we will give an account for our lives. Every single one of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The culture screams there's no, no responsibility for your actions, no, no accountability. But in fact, you will give an account for your life. When I was on vacation here a few weeks ago, one of the persons I talked to on the fishing pier, I talked to for a long time, asked him about his spiritual life and so forth, and he said he was not a believer. He made that clear, but he was willing to talk about it. And then eventually he said, I believe when you die, you just, that's it. And see, 
he had bought into the belief that you're not accountable. Yet, do you realize there's something in us that recognizes we are accountable from a very young age? It's why when you do something wrong when you are a child, you try to hide it. Or even adults do something wrong and don't want others to know about it. Now, of course, the culture has come to the place where, well, now you can do all kinds of morally wrong things and not try to hide it, but flaunt it. That by flaunting it, then I gain acceptance. And if you don't accept what I put before you, there's something wrong with you, not something wrong with me. But you see, in this context, especially if you're a young person, it's very hard to define who am I. See, I, I think to now is the most difficult time to be a, a middle school student or a high school student because of the complexity of the culture in which we live. And to sort out who am I and to walk in that confidently is not an easy thing. Especially when the pressure of the culture around you is screaming, come in a different direction. For example, up until fairly recently, the number of young women, I'm talking young teens, who really struggled with whether or not they're male or female or something of that nature, struggled with their identity from a sexual standpoint, was very small. And most of the people who struggle with that in the middle school years worked through it. Now, look, every middle school kid struggles with this kind of thing. How do I stack up against others? And you're going through, it's a very difficult time. But most of the people who had real struggles worked through it, and the number who had a struggle into adulthood was extremely small. Those statistics have skyrocketed, just skyrocketed. Young women who say, I don't know whether I'm male or female or something of that nature. Well, that's because it wasn't like suddenly this is a real phenomenon. Suddenly the culture is luring people into a belief system that is somehow deceiving and undermining their lives. And remember, always behind it is the work of the demonic to deceive, to attract, to lure, to destroy. It's always the work of the demonic. And so, no wonder there's a lot of confusion in society. No, no wonder a lot of young people are very depressed, very uncertain about their life, because the culture is saying to them many, many powerful lies. But what's the truth? Well, the truth is we are created in God's image. We are created male and female, which is what we've explored here for a number of weeks. And then the scripture goes on in the Psalms to say, you are created, you created us, in our mother's womb, that you created our, our inmost being, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, among Christians, it would be interesting to know how many Christians really believe they are personally, fearfully, and wonderfully made. In fact, it would be interesting to know how many of you do, but I won't ask you to raise your hands. Because I think most people look at themselves and they like some things about themselves and they don't like some things about themselves, attributes, characteristics. And they think, well, yeah, God did a really good job making that person. 
but he must have had an off day when he made me. And that's the way a lot of people think. And I, we think that way because we're trying to define our value as a person in comparison to other people. And that's never the right approach. In fact, sometimes God creates in people what the world would call a weakness. Some inferior characteristic. Because in that weakness is where he is strong. It's like Moses. He's called to be the leader of the nation of Israel. And Moses said what? You got the wrong guy because I don't speak well. Now God said to him, look, it'll be fine. I'm with you. And Moses kept whining and complaining, saying what? I don't speak well. Finally, the scripture says God was angry with Moses. He said, all right, I'll send along somebody to be a spokesperson with you. But you see, in his weakness, there was strength of God. It's why the apostle Paul had to have thorns in the flesh, because he had to be weak in order for God to use him greatly. Do you realize in your personal characteristics, if you had all of the personal characteristics you dream of, wish you had, you'd be a wretch. You would be a prideful wretch. Well, I should say more than you are right now. Do you understand that? If you had every characteristic you dreamed of having, you would be a prideful wretch and worthless in the kingdom of God. See, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Here's what just amazes me. That God creates every single person distinctly. Not just in physical characteristics, which are true, but in, in their soul, in their being. You can have identical twins that look exactly alike, yet their personalities are significantly different. How is that? Because he created them, knitted them together differently in his eternal plans. Now, here's the thing about it. Too often, we want to be like somebody else because we think, wow, to be in that place is to be wonderful. But if you actually got into the place they're in, you might find, that's not what I thought it was. What you really want to do is to say, Lord, what is it you have for me personally? And find what he has created you for Follow his will, be obedient to him, and watch as he unfolds it. You see, if you are obedient to him, you will not miss his will. Some people say, oh, I'm so afraid of missing God's will. Well, here's how you make sure you don't miss it. You just seek him every day. You obey him in every small thing. You will not miss the will of God. You're only going to miss the will of God if you're off doing your own thing in rebellion. He knows how he has made you. Therefore, he knows the things that he wants to do that will be the best use of your gifts and talents. Because the scripture also says that he works in all things for the good of those who love him. 
those called according to what? To his purpose. He created you. He has a purpose for you. See, this is part of the problem among young people is they feel purposeless, meaningless, like my existence doesn't matter. Well, in comparison to what the world says and what people around you say, that might be an understandable perception, but you are purposeful in the kingdom of God. That those he foreknew, he predestined. He predestined you to be conformed to the likeness of his son. See, this is the goal of human life. Every person needs to keep that in their mind all of the time because when you understand this is the goal, then a lot of things about this life make sense that otherwise would not make sense. When you go through deep struggles, deep hardship, and you think, God, why are you doing this to me? And it feels random. It's because he's allowing you to go through something that will conform you to the likeness of his son. He conforms you in a lot of different ways. But what he has to do is cause the old sin nature to die and the new person that you are in Christ, the new creation you are in Christ to arise. And this is where you find who you really are. Who you are in union with Christ when Christ is working in you powerfully. In fact, sometimes people say some really nice things to me. I've had some, I've had some of the Ukrainian people write some really nice thank you letters to me and so forth. And say all these wonderful things about me, which are true. <laughs> but only in Christ. Because in, in reading that, sometimes it, it, I think, apart from Christ, what a rich I was and still could be. If there's anything good, anything of eternal value, anything that comes out of me, it's because of Christ living in me. And sometimes when I'm talking with them or others, I'll just say, if you had known me years ago, you wouldn't have said that. It's because of the transforming life of Christ. That he conforms us to his image day by day. That we are predestined for this. And notice, we're predestined, we're called, we're justified, meaning set in right position with him, and glorified. Now, not glory as the world wants glory a prideful glory, but really the glory of the Lord is upon those who seek him and honor him. There's something good and holy and righteous about it. And see, in Ephesians it says that we are God's workmanship. In other words, he created you, he knitted you together in your mother's womb. He's been working in you all along. He is continuing to work in you for his glory that you are created in Christ to do good works which he has prepared in advance. So what's so wonderful about this is he's the one who created you. He's the one who gifted you. He knows how to use the gifts and talents that he has given you. He will orchestrate your life to give you the opportunity to fulfill those, those opportunities, to, to use your gifts if you seek him and follow him. Now, I am convinced that there are people who are very gifted in various ways and squander their gifts because they don't seek God. They don't follow him. They do miss the things that he has created them to do. But then there are people who humbly walk with him and he just opens 
one door after another door. Sometimes we're trying to push a door open because we think, oh, that's the best way if I could just go that way. And God's saying, no, that's not it. And then sometimes a door opens so easily and you realize, oh, this is what he wants me to do. And it's because he has created you with the gifts and talents to accomplish that. And see, here's the message the culture needs to hear. You will not find who you are by looking inside yourself because what you're going to find there is your sin nature, your sinful desires. And if you indulge those, what you're going to end up with is destruction in your own life. You find yourself by looking to the one who created you, by coming into relationship with him, by being empowered by his Holy Spirit to be who he created you to be. That through the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, empowering the gifts and talents that he has given you, then you fulfill the things that he has set before you to do in this life. And you walk in that for a lifetime. You walk in doing his will for a lifetime, guided by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. You get to the later stages of your life and you realize he knew what he was doing. He knew all along. And he is a good, good father who knows how to give perfect gifts to his children. How to bless you beyond anything you deserve. See, I absolutely know I deserved death. When I read the Old Testament, it talks about the punishment for this sin is stoning. The punishment for that sin is stoning. I should have been stoned. When you realize that's who you are apart from him, and that's what the world is saying, go indulge that person. You won't find life there. You find life by finding your identity in the person of the living God who is Christ, in union with him. And then you walk through this journey of life with him, through the hardships, through the difficulties, through the joyous times, and you find life has meaning and purpose. Maybe your primary gift in life is the gift of service. You know, God gives that gift abundantly to many people. And you've often thought, well, I'm a nobody in the kingdom of God. But you walk with him obediently through life with the gift of service and he will give you so many countless opportunities to serve others that your heart will be filled with joy in doing so. This is who he is. And see, here we are in a, in a culture that is confused because of lies. And see, I, I said in this series that you can boil down all of the confusion and the chaos in the culture to an attack upon the image of God. Well, this chaos personally is an attack upon the image in each individual that God has created you for his glory, for his purposes. And the spirits of evil do not want you to know who you are in Christ and do not want you to fulfill what God has called you to fulfill, that you are his image in this world for now. And the spirits of evil do not want you to walk in that. And yet God would say, trust me. Even in the chaos of this world, in fact, you, do you realize you grow the most in Christ when there's the most friction against it? 
It's just like a muscle. You don't strengthen a muscle by not using it. You strengthen a muscle by the tension, the force, the friction against it that makes it grow stronger. And see, this is what the culture needs to hear. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You encounter a teenager who's depressed, who's suicidal. They need to understand they are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God has a purpose for them. That this life is not purposeless. And you will give an account for this life. But if you've sought him, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, all of the sin of your life will not be there. It'll be taken away. And then he's going to reward you for all of the things he did through you. Not what you did in your own strength, but the things he did through you to accomplish and fulfill what he created you to do in this world. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.